Oh my goodness. Uh, you guys, I, it's so funny as we, as we look at this topic today, uh, one of the things that, for me, when I watch that video, that I realize is being in America uh, really is one of the hardest places to get to this place where you finally get to God and there's anything left for Him because we have so many opportunities here. I mean, we have more options for our money to go to than probably anywhere. And, and so it makes it, makes it really, really difficult. And, uh, and so when, when we think about this too, all the, all the ads that come to us, and all of us advertise them. If you're in a business, that's what you do. You advertise. We advertise, K2. We've stuck our stuff up there. We're putting our Easter ads out there. And we do that. But you guys know that we get between 500 and 1,000 marketing messages a day. See, so it's not even so much that, um, that we should do these things. It's the amount of the stuff that comes to us. They say we can have 200,000 to 300,000 messages a year. Now, can you imagine if you, had, if you heard 300,000 promises of a God a year? What would that be like if you kept hearing something over and over again, if we actually heard from God? And so what we want to look at today is this issue of how do I somehow get content with what I have when everything around me says, you need more, you need more. Forbes uh, magazine recently said that 32% uh, of uh, that our income today is 32% higher than our parents' income. And that's taking inflation, you know, with it. Not, uh, obviously, it's a way more than what it was. But including inflation, we make 32% more, and yet we're still discontent. And, and you guys know these numbers. I didn't even know if I was going to share them. But I do think we need to at least think about this reality. This is crazy. If you make $1,800 this year, you make more than 80% of the 6 billion people that live on this planet. If you make, make $1,800. Now, if you make the average, which right around here in Salt Lake and stuff, is somewhere around $47,000. If you pull that in, we are at more than 99% of the globe. <laughs> that we bring in, into our income. And so if that's true, if the rest of our brothers and sisters in humanity all over the world are making way less than us and have way less than us, then, then why is it that we don't feel like we have enough? Because if we're honest with us, we never really feel like we have enough. In America, 50% of us spend more than we make, and somewhere between twelve and 16000 Like if you're, if you're here today, and you're the average American, then you probably have somewhere between twelve dollars and $16,000 of debt that does not include your home, your, your mortgage. But you're sitting there with this, with this stuff on top of you trying to figure out how we're going to actually make that payment. So when you think about this American dream, you know, the American dream started off as a place of freedom, didn't it? I mean, the whole reason we exist as a nation is because people started off and said, man, we want a place where we can be free. And so we started this nation, and then it became the land of what? Opportunity. opportunity. Then it became the land of opportunity, which is a beautiful thing, I, I think. I, I personally think it's a beautiful thing that people can come to America and be free to pursue happiness, right? I mean, and it's a land of opportunity, and yet somehow this land of opportunity for many people turns into the land of bondage. And the very thing it started off to be was freedom, is sucking some of us into this pattern where it's actually destroying us. And we really don't know how to be content. You know, um, man, it was, wasn't it wild? I mean, recently, when we all watched our finances just fall down and just dis... I mean, how many of you were like, this is awesome? 
you know, and just had peace and joy in your heart as you watch your, you know, college funds and your retirement and just slide away. And I was talking with a guy who does financial planning. And he said, he goes, Dave, I, I'm so struggling with this. He goes, because I worked really hard to put this stuff away and to be financially responsible. And because of other people's irresponsibility and because of other people's greed, I lost all my stuff. Uh, anybody else feel that way? Okay, if you can be honest. I mean, it's like you sat there and you go, wait a second. I, I was trying to be faithful here. And because we, we just allowed people just to get wild and, and not be content and go crazy, all the rest of us hurt. And so you have Enron that happened too, you know, back in the early 2000s. And all of the scandals, people lost their jobs and their finances because of some people's greed. And, and that's hard. Now, are we any different though? I mean, are you guys, I mean, we, it's, it is pretty frustrating, but are you any different? Um, I, I remember, uh, it's amazing to me how quickly you can become discontent. Uh, when I was back in Detroit, there was a, a couple that wanted to get married, and uh, I got a call from my assistant. They said, hey, there's a couple that wants, wants, you, to get, wants you to marry them, and uh, just wondered if you'd be interested in doing that. And I said, well, you know, what's the deal? And they said, well, they actually want to get married in Hawaii, and they'd like to fly you and Susie out there to do the wedding. I said, well, let me pray about that. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> That's one of the, that is one of the quickest prayers I've ever done in my life. You know, I mean, it, it's sad. I didn't pray. You know, I'm like, I'm going. I've never been to Hawaii. This will be awesome. So, so we get in there. We, we, sign, we sign up. They got us first class tickets to fly to Hawaii because they were so geeked about getting married, right? I mean, it was, it was my first time in, in first class. It was awesome. You know, uh, Susie was pregnant at the time. She's just laying out. It was great, you know. And um, then we get to Hawaii, and we show up to this amazing hotel where, they're gonna, where the wedding's actually going to be performed and where they're going to stay. And we're checking in, and the pe- person behind the desk says, um, hey, just because you're getting married here, we actually want to go ahead and upgrade you to, I don't know which suite it was, the presidential suite or whatever suite it was. And so, so we, it was beyond the honeymoon, actually. It was way up there. And so, so we, we take his bags. Well, they took their bags. We walked with them. And then we get up there, and they open up the door. And you guys, this wasn't like a hotel room. You open up the door, and it was two stories. There was a spiral staircase right in the middle taking you up to the And, of course, the huge view over the ocean with this arch deck. I mean, we were just, I was so geeked for that guy. Seriously. I mean, it, it was just a great, great gift. And so we left them, and Susan and I hopped in our car, our rental. You know, we went over to our hotel, and we walked in, and it was a hotel, too, where you could see the beach. And I opened up the door, and I looked in there, and it was like this hotel room. And I just sat there, and I go, we can't stay in this place. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I grabbed, the, I grabbed the phone book, and I started looking for someplace else to stay. Because when I saw what he had and what I got, that wasn't enough. And, of course, when the whole trip was over and it was time to fly back, could I sit and coach? Are you kidding me? I can't sit and coach anymore after you said my wife's pregnant, you know, because we all have justification, right? So I, I, we did, and it was only 100 bucks, which is, I know is really rare. Cause, but so we, next thing you know, we upgraded into first class just to fly home. And I, I, I mean, you get home and you just go, well, wait a second, what just happened here? I mean, I've never been to Hawaii. Just going to Hawaii should have been an amazing experience, being flied there for free. And as soon as you see what somebody else has and you don't have it, <laughs> And as soon as you see what you could have, how many of you, when you see that, when you see what somebody else has, you go in somebody else's house, you see what they're driving, you see the toys they have, you know, and then you see all the advertisements and you see what you could have and all that you could do, and then, and then you see what you don't have. And how many of you are good? Oh, I'm so good with that. <laughs> I mean, if you're human, how many of you just go, I'm good with it? We don't. 
there's something inside of us that says, man, I got to have that. Well, that's what we want to talk about today. Because this whole issue is a huge, huge issue in America. And I know for many of you sitting right here in this room, it's a huge issue. Look, we're going to jump into 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab 1 Timothy. And, um, we're going to be in chapter 6 today. And uh, you can read along with me. Um, they will also be up on the screen. Uh, let me start off with this portion of, of uh, uh, 1 Timothy. We're going to start with in chapter 6, verse 6. Paul is writing his uh, young cohort here, and he says this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, and they pierce themselves with many griefs. Okay, let me just stop there, because I just want to help us to, to kind of just get to the issue of the day before we jump into this thing. Um, what are some, in the scripture right here, God is telling, there are some of us who, who have gone into destruction and into grief and into ruin uh, because we couldn't be content and we started really loving money. So I just started thinking about that. What are some of the griefs and ruin and destruction that happened because of this issue? And you guys know this, right? That, that the, what's the number one cause of divorce? It's, it's, it's sex. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I, I took that from down here. Uh, no, I mean, obviously, sex is right up there. It is. Sex is way up there. But money, when they come down to it, you will find that money is right up there. You want to, uh, marriages have been ruined, and they've been destroyed. And there's been a lot of harm because money played such a huge role. Um, absenteeism with kids. Um, some of you guys, uh, your relationship with your kids isn't very good. And it's because there's such a pursuit for the financial thing that the relationship actually with your kids just isn't, isn't there. I know guys right now who have so much freaking stuff, it's unbelievable. And they are absolutely alone. They have to work so hard to get what they get that they have no time to actually be with anybody. <laughs> and and, and, it, and it's, it's eating away at them. Talking with other people, eventually money, when it becomes the love of it, it becomes an addiction. Some of you guys, when I say guys, I'm sorry, men and women, all of us, some of you right now, you know you're just, you're addicted to it and you can't stop. I remember Susan and I were watching a PBS special on Lincoln one time, and they, and they, gave, and they gave the inside scoop to Mary Lincoln. You guys ever know what she was like? I mean, this, this woman got addicted to the purchasing of stuff, to, and it's so bad that she bought stuff she never even opened. And she'd have piles of it, and the government had to pay her debt. I mean, it can happen where you get so out of control and you can't stop. I need something new. I have to go and I have to get. And next thing you know, it's an addiction. Um, sometimes when it gets to this point, um, fraudulent behavior starts to happen. And we can actually start dealing dishonestly in our behavior at work or in our own finances or with the government. And without even ever obviously wanting to do that, you might actually be losing your integrity as a person. And now you're spending all of your energy trying to cover up what you're doing. <laughs> and then when it gets exposed, there's ruin and destruction. And it, it, it happens. We know this happens. And then there's just the trap of debt 
that, that again, that most of America's in, which robs us of our peace because we've got to figure out how we're going to do that. And then he ends up here and saying, and then some of us wander from the faith. And, and simply what he's saying is money actually is many people's God is what happens. Is instead of trusting God, instead of following God, instead of living for God, I always feel like for me, ultimately what you worship is what helps you make your final decisions in life. And, and, and seriously, is, when you think about that, is, and when it comes down to it, ultimately, is because this is what God's asked me to do. This is what I know he wants me to do. Or when you make your final decisions in life, many times is it, can we do this? Can we afford this? Can we, do we want this? And some people literally, have, some people, I, I know of situations where people can't do what God wants them to do because they're financially bound. And some people won't do what God wants them to do because they're financially bound. So some people wander from the faith. And instead of being able to walk with God and experience the absolute, full, complete, seven life that he has for us, we get on this path and it ends up destroying us. And, um, and then he says, what happens here is that people want to get rich. They fall into a temptation and trap and into these harmful desires. And so I was thinking, well, what are some of the harmful desires that actually lead us? To, you, you see, we have to understand this. What actually is at the root cause? Why are we going down a path that can be so dangerous for us? when there's a path of life that's right there for us. I want to tell you, and I'm going to hit this big time at the, at the end of my message, that the key, you guys, I think one of the most harmful desires is a desire for value and a desire to have esteemed, a desire to know that you matter. Now, is that a harmful desire? No. It is so innately put in every human being. But I believe it's that desire right there that moves many down a path in the financial deal to try to gain esteem and value for who we are as people. Let me just keep going down here. Jealousy is a big one. We already talked about it. We got greed. I think there's fear. Um, I'll be totally honest with you. For me, the biggest one is comfort and pleasure. <laughs> I, I think any time we've got involved in financial issues for me, it's just because there's things I just want. It's more, it's just, I, I want this. I like this. This will be better. It'll feel better. And so I just load stuff up on that. Um, and then I think another desire that really hurts us is laziness. And, um, and then the last one I put down is a need for value and esteem. Because <laughs> I think this really drives us, and I can't wait to get to that point. All right, here, here we go. So I was talking with Eric, who's our financial guru around here, um, who's just helped a ton of, say, I'm sure he's helped some of you in this room. Um, he helps me. Um, he's a guy, I, he's amazing, actually, in how he manages his money. And he's done a lot of financial counseling and sat down with him this last week. And I said, so, so Eric, what is it? What is it that gets people in trouble with this? But what do you see more often than anything else? The first thing he said is, it's people just get caught up in the small things. <laughs> you, you, you just purchase, it's not the big things that, that hurt you. It's these small things that you just start doing. And I, and I, I remember, uh, uh, how many of you have taken the Dame, Dave Ramsey financial peace thing? How many? Of, wow. Yeah, sweet. Okay. Um, it's a class that you guys are probably, how many of you heard of Dave Ramsey in the final? Okay. Okay. Well, we offer that here on a regular basis. And, and Eric actually took our staff through it uh, about five years ago. And uh, all I did, I, after we got done, I said, you jerk, you know, why didn't you make us do that earlier? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. You guys, Susan and I had this debt and this is what Eric said. He goes, usually by the time people come to me and they have issues with their debt, they don't even remember what they got that for. <laughs> And that was us. It, we weren't spending thousands of dollars on anything. We were spending 50 here, 30 there, 
maybe 100. You guys ever done that? Like, I'm serious. I'm walking through the store. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love that. I want, you know, it's nothing. You know, pull out the card and got it and you got it home. And next thing you know, I get the visa bill. I'm, what? How? I can't be thousands of dollars. What are you, that's crazy. And you look back and there's like 25 things in there that cost 20 bucks. And, and, and he just said, most of the time, we have no idea what we're really spending our money on. We just freely do it because we want it. Okay? And that's what he led to the second thing. He said the second issue is instant gratification. He goes, one of the biggest issues is, and that was us. I want it. I got a card. I got it. I don't have the money to buy it, but I have the card to get it. And I want it now, and we just buy it. Rutledge was telling me with his son, Elisha, what they're doing with him is they say, anytime you want anything, you have to put it, you can have, you can have a list of three things, and it has to be on the list for a week before you buy it. And if you want to, uh, something new that you want, then you have to take something off the list and then put that back on. You know what Mike said? He goes, the dude never buys anything. <laughs> it's working perfect, you know? Because he, but, but see, but if, 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 uh, if he allowed him, if, as soon as Elijah came up and said, hey, man, I want this, he said, all right, let's go get it. He would be buying stuff all the time. Instead, he's actually accumulating, and he's actually thinking about it instead of just jumping into it. So instant gratification. And then the last one Eric said was just keeping up with the Joneses, which, again, I, I mean, I... I, I mean, seriously, is there not a human being that doesn't struggle with that? Man, I always see stuff that people have that, you know, I'd rather have. <laughs> and, and so we go after it because we need that. I got to have that. And so, um, so then Eric, he, he kind of threw this by me. I wanted to ask you this. How many of you guys have any type of degree? How many of you have a bachelor's, or not even a bachelor's? How many of you have a high school uh, diploma? Anybody in here have a high school diploma? Okay. All right. Uh, how many of you have college degrees? Anybody? Okay, quite a few of you. All right, great. He goes, uh, and then he just said, how many of you have ever been taught how to balance your checkbook? Okay, quite a few. How many of you have actually been taught on how to, um, to do a budget? Okay. Hey, Eric, you in here? Is he in here? Okay. He would be really surprised. He thought only a few of you would raise your hands. Now, here's the question. How many of you balance your checkbook every month? Wow. You guys are awesome. How many of you have a personal budget that you live by? Okay. Oh, you have one, you just don't live by it. Okay, exactly. All right. There we go. That's, that's more like it. <laughs> you know, I, I, but I was, I was sitting there thinking through that. Um, I just thinking of all the classes I took in high school and all the stuff I don't remember. Does anybody remember anything from high school? Sorry, all you, all you high school students, education is awesome. It's really, really important. Um, Parents are like, shut up, Nelson. No, but I, was, uh, but I was just curious as to this fact. Isn't it wild that in high school you're never taught how to balance your budget or how to, how, to, how to actually take care of your checkbook? I mean, it's just only the thing that could save your marriage and leave you from going insane and keep you, you know, we don't learn that. Uh, it, it's just crazy, all right? So anyway, there's the problem. Now, let me just say one thing very, very clear about this passage. The warning is to those who are rich. Is that right? No. The warning was to who? Those who want to get rich. Here's the issue. This has no bearing on how much money you have today. None. Because some of you don't have anything, and you want it bad. And some of you don't have anything, and you're okay. Most of us are middle class, and some of you are middle class, and you're doing everything you can to take it one level up higher, because <laughs> this just ain't good enough, <laughs> you know? Some of you are middle class, and you're like, this is good. I'm, I'm totally content with this. Some of you make a good amount of money, 
and no amount is enough, and you're, just, and you're just going and going and going. And some of you make a lot of money, and you're really content with a life. So you guys understand this? See, what God is getting at here, and this is really important, it does not about how much money you have. We're all under this mandate. And here's what's critical to understand. So what that means is there's nothing wrong with excelling at what you do. I'm telling you, I believe it honors God so much when you're the best at what you do. Now, if you're the best at what you do, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to make the money. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you're going to get promotions. You're going you're gonna to be successful in what you do. If God, I mean, Proverbs are all about this. If you use wise business practices and you're a man or a woman of integrity and you do that, he's like, I'm going to bless you. And so, so it's not about money. I know people have tons of money, and they're ridiculous with it. They are so generous and so kind, and the way they live their life, they've actually, I know some people who've capped themselves so that everything they get, they can just keep giving because they're living good. They don't need any more, you know? And then, so anyway, I just want to make sure that you understand it's the people who want to get rich because here's what contentment is. Contentment is an inward self-sufficiency or satisfaction as opposed to the lack of or the desire for outward things. It's when you're okay right here and you aren't caught up in saying, I have to have that. Now, let me ask you a question. What if you had contentment? What if you had it? Think about it. You see what other people have. You know what you don't have. And you're like, I'm good. I'm totally good. Can you imagine? I'm telling you, that's freedom. That is absolute freedom. That's peace. That's peace. That's a, probably a whole lot of lack of relational conflict. <laughs> a lot of relational conflict probably go right out the bat. If your workplace, in your marriages, with those close to you, siblings, your outward focus would be toward generosity instead of accumulation, which means, you know what, literally, we'd change the world. We would. I, I, I'm telling you guys, if we could have this, it's huge. So how do we get it? I love Henry Thoreau. He says, neighbor, if ever thou dost need anything, come to see me. And I will tell thee how to get it along without it. <laughs> so anyway, I, did, I thought, yeah, anyway. So, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to figure out how to get along without this stuff, okay? Cause, so let's pray. Because I, I don't know your financial situation. I don't know if you're in debt. I don't know if you're addicted. I don't know if you're anxious and worrisome. Um, I don't know if collectors are banging on your door. I don't know if you're free. But let's pray and let's ask God to give us a heart of contentment today. Father, um, thank you that you address this issue for us. Thank you that you care. Thank you that when you came and you taught us, and Jesus, when you walked on this earth, you revealed to us that there's an ability to be a human being on this planet and actually be content, to be absolutely satisfied and, and, and full and complete in our own heart so that we don't have to run after other stuff that causes ruin and destruction and grief. So, Lord, you know every person in this room. You know their situation in their life, and you know the state of their heart. And I just pray that you'd speak to them and love on them today and help us all to find a place of freedom. And I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to jump through two of these things pretty quickly because I really want to camp on just the third one. But I'm going to do three things because, seriously, how can we actually get content? Um, The first one is this. You've got to remember where your home is. Apparently, in this passage, Paul says, you've got to remember where your home is if you want to be content. Okay, let me read for you. Verse 7, he says this. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. 
We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. So it's one of the things, I think, if we could actually remember that, it might help us to be content. You know, and, and there, you've, seen, you've heard the joke, right? I mean, how many of you have been to a funeral and seen moving bands, you know, behind the hearse? <laughs> you just, you know, there's nobody who's pack up all their stuff, and in the next world, you get all this. And so it, it's literally just not there. So what are we doing, okay? Well, obviously, we're living for the moment is what we're doing. So then he goes on in verse 18, and he says this. Command them, those of us in this world, to, be, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Somehow, what we do with our finances, what Paul's saying here is, he goes, man, contentment. I want to help you to figure out how to be content. One thing, remember this. You brought nothing into the world. You were born naked. You're going to die, and you're not going to take anything with you either. But what you do do now actually could lay a firm foundation for the coming age. And so Jesus really addresses this in Matthew 6. He says, so don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be. So, and then he goes in, in Luke 12, 33, he says, so sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out of treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So in, in other words, you know, again, in this other passage, he says, man, you guys, we all know this now. Wealth is so uncertain. <laughs> but there's a God, and there's a place that's certain. And so what are you doing? It, it, part of the thing we can think about that can help us to be content with what we have is to remember where our home is, <laughs> okay? Now, how many of you have traveled abroad? Anybody traveled o- o- around the country? Okay, uh, me too. Man, I tell you, I just... I love it. Uh, if I could, that is what I would do. I would leave all of you for a year and take my wife, and I would get one of those tickets where you can just go around the world, you know, for a year. And just, I would want to see. I want to see everything. I love it. Now, but when like when we went, uh, you know, uh, let's see, a friend of ours invited us to come. He would move to Germany, and so when we went to Germany, and you get over there, when you're in a foreign country, I mean, uh, what do you do? I mean, you, 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 you take your credit card, and, uh, but you, I mean, you, you spend stuff, you eat good meals, you buy souvenirs and all that kind of stuff, but how many of you took all of your resources and landed it in Germany? How many of you, like, just totally bagged all of your stuff and took out all your income and you poured it into Germany, and you set up a, a home in Germany when you knew you were going to be there for a week? How, did anybody do that? No, you don't do that. Now, why don't you do that? Because it's not your home. Do you enjoy Germany? Absolutely, man. We had a blast. Did we invest in Germany? No, we didn't. We didn't put our life into Germany. And see, what God is trying to help us to say here, you guys, is you got to remember something. Your time here, my time here, is so short compared to eternity. And yet what we do here with our treasure actually lays a firm foundation for us. There is treasure waiting for us if we do what God wants us to do with our finances here. And see, if we can, and I know, uh, I've got to do this short. We could talk about this forever. But it's just one thing you at least got to put in your, uh, in your uh, noggin. That would be that. <laughs> Psalm 39, verse 4, 4 through 7. It's not on your screen. I just thought on it this morning. It says this, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, 
What do I look for? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. So maybe that's just one of the things you can go home with today and say, wait a second, no, wait, where's my home? Really, where's my home? Okay? What are you really investing in? All right? The second one is this. Remember where your home is. The second one, which is going to be like two seconds, is remember generosity. Okay? And that's two seconds, because if you weren't here last week, just listen to last week's message, okay? And uh, basically, uh, I was down south, so I know Christian and I worked on the message together, but for me, I, my whole point was, we, when you give, you get. When you give, giving always results in getting. See, because when you give, other people get, right? So the people who need get every need in this world. The resource is so there to take care of it. it just, God just needs people who are generous. Some people are angry at God because they're starving people. And God's up there going, dude, I have given you everything you need to take care of your people. He's got to get rid of it. Obviously, in the world, you guys know even the church worldwide, the church worldwide, if it would just give, we could take care of every major need, hunger, thirst, and education, and everything within one year. It would be wiped out if the church would just give. See, so giving always results in getting. Generosity is awesome. And then obviously you get you get the freedom and the joy and the peace, and God just says, I'm going to pour a blessing on you. And then last week it says, and then God gets it, because everybody goes, wow, look at the generosity of his people. <laughs> he must be a really good God. And they start thanking God. All right, that was last week's message. There you go. All right, that was number two. Remember generosity. And then, and, uh, and then lastly, and this is the one I want to touch on. How can I be content? You guys, you got to remember God. Isn't that easy? We're here at church. We're going to talk about God. You know, it's like when they go to Sunday school, what's brown and furry and has a big tail? And the little kid goes, Jesus, you know, (laughs) because Jesus is always the answer to everything. All right. So, um, but he is. All right. So here we go. First Timothy 6, 17 says this. Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that. Hey, can I just ask you guys a question? Does money provide enjoyment? Yes. (laughs) Come on, don't get too spiritual on me here. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I mean, when you eat at a five-star restaurant, do you ever want to go to McDonald's again? I mean, you know... (laughs) I I mean, when you get a chance, and there's no question that having money frees you up to do some very, very cool things, have amazing experiences. It provides enjoyment. What he's saying is here, don't put your hope in this because it can drop you like a rock. And some of you know that more than ever right now. Don't put your hope into it because it can deceive you into thinking that it will satisfy your soul, which it won't. Can it provide enjoyment? Yes. Can it satisfy your soul? No. And it can lead you down paths, and it can deceive you, and it can begin to control you and cause you to start living in a way that you never actually really wanted to live. Okay. And yet God says, I will richly provide you with everything for your enjoyment. And I think it's because God goes to the deep places. He goes to the real soul and heart. He knows you. He created you. The scriptures in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, it says, my soul thirsts for God. You know what's true? My flesh doesn't. <laughs> I, I don't. 
my soul does. Does that make sense? Because I, I, even as, a, even as a, a follower of Christ for 30 years and a pa- your pastor, there are some days I just don't thirst for God. But my soul does. See, and God knows me, and he knows who he made me to be, and he knows you, and he knows who you made you to be, and he knows what he made humanity to experience. And he's saying, and I am the only one who can richly provide you with everything for your real, absolute enjoyment, deep satisfaction. Jesus said, you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Okay, I can satisfy you way down there. And that's what I want to look at here. When when he started off in in chapter 6, he said this. He goes, godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, and you know, and back in uh, last year we talked about godliness. It just means God-centeredness. It means having God at the center of your life and being content is great gain. What's great gain? It's seven. It's complete. I want to, Jesus, I came so you could have life to the full, man. I, I want to give it to you, okay? So now here's the deal. In the next verse says this, verse eight. There it is. He says, If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Can I just ask you a question? I don't know. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to. Are any of you content with just food and clothes? Thank you for laughing because you laughed on behalf of all of us. I mean, seriously. Paul says, if I have food and clothes, I'll be content with that. I know nothing of that. And you don't either. I mean, we don't, okay? So here's the question. How could we even get to that place? And uh, I want to share something uh, that was really revelatory for me this week, and I'm excited about sharing that. Before I share it with you, though, I want to show you a video of a guy I talked with just a, a few weeks ago and a journey that he went on in 2009. And I think it'll help kind of bring some relatability for all of us and help us to figure out how we can do this at the end of our message. Let's watch this video together. I've been coming to K2 for, gosh, I think it's almost like five years now. Uh, We moved uh, back here. I've been in and out of Salt Lake uh, a lot in my life. And found this to be our home. Uh, more and more and I'd been in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles and uh, in music and film and and TV just kind of got out of the entertainment industry and got into really trying to help companies figure out how to get their people to be at their best and was having a great time with that had a number of really great years and then 2009 showed up and uh, the economy took a dive and it was January. We thought we were going to have a really great year. But uh, by February, probably, I think, 80% of our clients had canceled their contracts for the year. So we thought, well, we can weather this for a while. But then March came, and uh, my mother's health deteriorated. She needed to go into assisted living. We needed to come up with an extra four or $500 a month. Next thing I know, my mother-in-law, we also need to come up with some additional funds for her. As things progressed, uh, you know, I finally gave up my health insurance because it was too costly. And, you know, we were doing everything we knew how to do. And then uh, I got kidney stones, had to go to the hospital, no insurance, four grand. 
is suddenly now, you know, we got a shortage of, of cash. We're running out of reserves, and what money does come in, you know, I'm, I'm hearing the, the words echoing in my head, it's all God's money. Are you going to give back the first 10%? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can afford to. <laughs> We had, to, we had to come to grips at the beginning of the year um, with the fact that things were going to be radically different. Um, you know, a good share of our business just went away. And, you know, at first it was like, how are we going to be able to stay where we are and maintain our same standard of living? How are we going to maintain the house? I started look, looking for clients and work in exotic locations. I started thinking about, you know, I nearly took a job that was going to have me traveling six days a week. Um, and, you know, I talked with, with Leela about it, and we both looked at it and went, that's crazy. We won't have a life. I mean, if, if that's, is, is that what we're really willing to sacrifice so we can maintain some house and some status and whatever that means and gradually through that process we started to realize that the stuff that really matters the stuff that truly makes us rich was not that stuff and so all of a sudden here we are we realize we're gonna have to move out of this house and move into an apartment a little two-bedroom apartment in the avenues um, and we're going to be worrying about whether we make rent there. All of this was, at the same time, it sounds foolish, but resisting cutting our overhead as much as we needed to. And, and finally, when it became clear, I think we got out of denial, <laughs> was we realized we need to start drastically cutting both our business overhead and our personal overhead. We cut both, each one of them, in half. And the interesting thing is, we don't ever intend to increase it. We're not missing anything that we cut out of our life. One of the reasons why we don't ever want to go back is if we get more abundance now, I want to be able to give more. Because I realize now what a gift that is. We probably could have figured out a way to beg, borrow, and steal our way into staying in the situation we were in. Um, we, we could have gone deeper in debt. Um, we could have, who knows, declared bankruptcy and kept the house out. Uh, you know, no, no judgment about people who do that, but there were a variety of things we could have done to try to maintain the lifestyle we had and the position <laughs> that we had. I don't know, it was like God called on our hearts to say, this is going to be a good thing for you. This is going to really teach you the beauty of simplicity. That by having less in your life, you're going to have more of me, and you're going to have more of each other. People ask, you know, Wow, 2009, I know you guys had a rough go. Um, are you glad to be done with it? Well, yeah, on one hand, yeah. On the other hand, we wouldn't trade it. It was the richest year of our life.
when Chris uh, was sharing his story with me, I, I wanted him to, to share it with you guys because I just thought that, that too much of the time when everything that we've had and that we've been used to is gone, instead of being content with what we could have, we do. We go down destructive paths to try to maintain that. And I was like, dude, how did you do that? How were you able, in the midst of losing 50% of everything that you had and downsizing everything, continuing to be generous, which he said, it was like when he had a lot, it was easy. He'd get, this time, every, you know, he'd give it away and he's shaking, you know. And I'm like, how, how could you do that? And uh, let, let, me just, let me just share with you in closing, um, I think one way that maybe we could do that. How many of you are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of need? Okay. All right. If uh, general psychology type, type stuff here. And uh, basically, let's go back and remember the verse. If I have food and clothes, I'll be content with that. Okay? Let's look at at Maslow's deal. We have this up on the screen here, so just so I can kind of walk this through with you really quickly. We don't have it. We don't have this on the screen, so let me just walk this through with you. All right. Uh, It's a triangle. You guys remember this? You've seen this thing? It's a triangle. It's got five different colors. And basically, he's saying at the base need of every human being are physiological needs. Okay, and he lists these. We need breathing. (laughs) That'd be good. Food, water, sex, sleep, homeostasis and excretion, which I think is really interesting that he puts that one on there. But basically, um, you better receive and you better get it out or you're not going to be in a good position, Uh, which is interesting. uh, Talking about finances as well. It'd be good to get stuff in and get it out or. uh, okay. anyway, so that's the base thing, though. He says every person as a human being, you've got to have that need met. Okay, makes sense. Second level is safety. And under safety, he says you need security. Of body, you need to know that as a human being, I'm safe, and you're going to do whatever it takes to have that need met. Safety of employment, of resources, and of morality, family, health, and property. And, and, and so basically, he's just, as a human being, once your basic needs are met, and you know I'm breathing, I'm eating, I'm, I can survive, now I'm going to move to this next level, and I'm going to make sure I have the basic resources and safety to make sure that I can live, okay? Then he goes on uh, to the third level, which is love and belonging. Once that's all happening, okay, I can actually live and I don't have to worry all that out. Now I need to actually love and belong. This is where friendship and family and sexual intimacy comes in, which I thought was interesting. Sex was on the base level, but sexual intimacy was in the love and belonging level. That was interesting. That's a whole other topic. Uh, a good one, by the way, but a different one. Uh, I, I, I researched this. This was interesting on this love and belonging. It said humans need to feel a sense of belonging and acceptance. Whether it comes from a large social group, such as clubs, office culture, religious groups, professional organizations, sports teams, gangs, or small social connections like family members, intimate partners, they need to love and they need to be loved by others. Is that not God? Is that not God? God is love and he's created every single one of us with this innate need to love and to be loved. And that's his whole point. He, he, he just says, I so love the world, and I want to love on you, and then I want you to love me back, and then I want you guys to love each other. It's all about this love thing. He goes, this is, this is what he tells every person over and over again in here, is, is you have this need, and I'm here to meet this need for you. Is You guys, it's why he created the church, to be like, like even Maslow said, that you need a place. You need God in his love, but you also need to be loved. And you need a place, and the church is supposed to be this for love. It's supposed to be a connection, a place where you actually belong. Not just where you come, 
to a service, but where you belong. You guys, this again is why we did our CTC groups, these continue the conversation groups. I I know many of you have jumped into those, and and a lot of you still haven't. I wanted to let you know you can jump in at any time. They're all over the valley. They're every night of the week, and they give you a chance to take one step more to say, I actually need to belong. (laughs) It's a legitimate need that I have, and God wants to meet that need for you. Okay, that's the first one. Physiological, safety, love, and belonging. The fourth level is esteem. He says every human being eventually gets to a place where you, where you need esteem. He calls it self-esteem, confidence, achievement, respect of others. And then as I, I research this, it says this. Esteem presents the normal human desire to be accepted and valued by others. People need to engage themselves to gain recognition and have an activity or activities that give the person a sense of contribution to feel accepted and self-valued, be it in a profession or a hobby. See, every person needs to know I matter. Every person needs to know I bring something to the table. Every person needs to know I'm valuable. See, now here's where it starts to get tricky, though. Because then what happens is, as we say, Bill, then it matters. What really matters in American culture is what do you do? What do you produce? And what do you have to show for it? Where do you live? What do you drive? How do you look, right? And see, now all of a sudden we get to this level four and we start freaking out. Because we're like, this is a major innate need that I have as a human being, and i got to try to figure it out. And the way I get that in my culture is i got to do good, and i got to have lots of stuff. And now all of a sudden, do you see where the issue rises up? And so now we get caught up in not being content anymore with food and clothes. Are you kidding me? i got to prove myself. And see, so this, you guys, is where God comes in. Are you valuable? See, innately valuable, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die for you. See, what was the, the word that the Bible uses is redemption. You know what that word means? It means to buy back. It means there is a price that needs to be paid, and I'll pay it. Now, what is more valuable than his life? I mean, he is saying to you, my life for your life, that's how valuable you are to me. There is nothing more that God could do to help you and I know you mean that much to me. But then it goes beyond that. Not just innately are you valuable. He says, and I created you exactly how I wanted you to be. He goes, your, your, your personality, your gifts, your abilities, they come from me. I have given these to you. He says, and then you join into the church and he goes, and I give every single one of you certain gifts that you specifically bring and are absolutely a necessity to us experiencing the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See, he comes in, he says, I want you to know that you are valuable and that you matter to me so deeply. And you guys, somewhere within us, we've got to get to a place where we are content with that, where I don't have to rely on your opinion of me. If I, I'm serious, think about this. If I need you to say, awesome, Dave, you rock, you're great, all that kind of stuff, I'm in trouble, and so are you. And some of us didn't get it when we grew up, right? We, were the, we had the silent dad, or we had the person, the parent who always put a standard that you couldn't meet, and all you do every single day is wake up, and you try to prove to the rest of the world and to yourself, you matter. And so all of a sudden, this whole idea, I'm content with food and clothes. No, I'm not. No way. I need to know I'm loved. I need to belong And I need to prove to the world that I matter. And God has come and saying, oh God, I want to set you free. Really, I want to love you. I want you to know that you're loved. 
I want to help you belong so that you don't have to go try to prove it and get it somewhere else. I want you to know I am so sorry you didn't hear how valuable you are. I am so sorry that you had conditions placed on you your whole life to get anything back. That's not me, he's saying. I want to give to you and give to you so that you can have, so that you will know who you are and that you matter to me and you can be free. I'm telling you guys, there is no way to be content living in America unless you know how valuable you are. And then we get to the self-actualization. It's the top level. Physiological safety, love, esteem, and then at the top, it's self-actualization. Calls us morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem solving. But here's here's what Maslow said. Do you know what self-actualization is? It's what a man can be, he must be. What a man can be, he must be. He goes on to say this. This level of need pertains to what a person's full potential is and realizing that potential. Do you guys remember when we started this series? What was seven? Seven in Scripture is the number for completion, meaning the exact thing that Maslow was saying. See, this is when I start to get psyched, when psychology finds out what God said 2,000 years ago. Is when he was saying, I am come so that you could have life to the what? Full. So that you could be mature and complete and lack nothing. I know exactly who you could be and I want you to be everything. Absolute full potential of who you could be. And Maslow says, that's it. He goes, and God's going, exactly. So now here's the deal. We come along this. And and Maslow was a uh, a professor of this guy, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And Dr. Dyer suggested that Maslow taught him two ways to understand self-actualization. Number one, to be free of the good opinion of others. And number two, to do things not simply for the outcome, but because it's the reason you are here on earth. I couldn't say it better. It's exactly what God's trying to teach us in the scripture. I want to set you free from needing the good opinion of another. And I want you to contribute to this world, not because of the outcome you'll get, but because you are being who you were created to be. Guys, this is what he's happened. You know, and I, and I only know two people, maybe three. Who do you know that was content with food and clothing and nothing else? Jesus, because <laughs> he's the answer to everything. But seriously, he's the one who said, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, and I know I have all power, so I give. Obviously, he was completely full. So he was content. You know who else was content? It was Paul. This, this, this guy, he says in Philippians, he goes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know, it's wild. People love to quote that. You ever hear people, you know, like uh, athletes and stuff, I can do everything who gives, through God who gives me strength, you know? Like I can play football. Yeah, okay, great. What the scripture is actually saying here is Paul was saying, I can live in any situation. I've been beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead. I've been totally taken care of for and had plenty. And I'm content. See, again, does it matter what you have? Uh Uh-uh. 
It matters about your heart. Paul knew so deeply the top three levels of Maslow's deal. He was loved, he belonged, he knew who he was, he ex- and he gave who he was, and he realized his full potential in Christ. Jesus says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. You will find it. And I know no other way to be content when everything around me says I shouldn't be except to have my heart full and satisfied with the presence of God who richly provides me with really everything I need for my enjoyment. Once I have that, then when I go into someone's home or somebody has what I don't have or I see something I want and I know what I don't have, I think I might have a chance to go. I'm good. I'm good. And you guys, if we could do that, we'd change the world. We really would. So I'm going to give you an application. And a band, you guys can come on up while I do this. Um, Last week, again, we talked about generosity. I was down south, so I don't know what was going on up here exactly. But I do know down there, I read this verse. It's Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the whole, this is Old Testament stuff. And and, uh, God was talking to his people. And he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And test me in this, says the Lord. And see, test me in this, says God. Test me. Try me. Bring 10% and just try me. And then he says this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. (laughs) Can I just ask you what I asked everybody down south last week? How many of you have actually ever tested God in this 10% principle and experienced him actually provide blessing? And it's not just financial blessing. It's just the blessing of God. How many of you actually tested him in this way and received his blessing? How many of you have done that? Okay, it sounds like, looks like maybe a third of you. Um, I just want to say, here's the deal. (laughs) That means two-thirds of you have yet to have the opportunity for God, to experience God pouring, how does he say it? I will pour, I will open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have enough room for it. Now, can I ask you, how many of you would like that experience? <laughs> I do. I mean, I want it. And I want the full blessing of God. And you guys, and, and Susan and I, I mean, it's just something we've always done in our life. And we have. And sometimes God has come through financially where you just go crazy. Unbelievable. I, it, it is nuts. But you guys, it's not just financial. Sometimes God comes in, he says, I now will satisfy your heart and soul with amazing peace. I will heal, heal your marriage. I will take care of your relationships. I will, I, he just, I will bless you. Rutt told me, or somebody told Rutt last week after we did the message, that there was a church in Florida that did what we're going to offer you today. And uh, pretty interesting. We want to actually give you a chance to test God in this. If you have never done this before, here's what we want to offer you. Would you be willing to test God just for three months? For three months. Actually take him on his deal. That's his deal. Would you take him up on it for three months and actually tithe to God and see what happens? See if he won't bless you. See if he won't bring healing, peace, restoration, maybe financial need, maybe taking care of you in that way. And here's what this church did, and we're going to do the same thing. If after three months you actually tithe and you did not receive any blessing from God, 
we'll give you your money back. Okay? Seriously, we will give you your tithe back after three months if it, if it didn't work. Because it just seems like if God's saying, test me on this, and we're the church, and that's kind of where the money goes, then we'll just give it back to you. Money back guarantee on, on your tithe. So here's what we're going to do. So if you want to take advantage of this, obviously the only thing we need from you is to make sure that you give your tithe. If you do it online or if you write a check, we can obviously record that. If you want to do cash, just stick it on an envelope and put your name in it. But I'd love for you to stop and think about it and pray about this week. And all we're doing is giving you an opportunity to take advantage of what God said. Test me in this. And see if I will not pour open the floodgates of heaven and bless you. And here's how we're going to close our service. What did Jesus give? He gave it all. He gave it all. Uh, That, for me, last week, you guys, I just sat there and I go, oh my, I can't believe all that God gives me. Over and over and over and over again, he wants to give me. But it all started with Jesus going, I'll give all of me so you could have life to the full. So we're going to take communion uh, today as a reminder of ourself of the one who said, listen, you need me. It's why I'm coming. I want to engage you back with myself. So here, remember this bread, and remember, and take it, and to remember my body broken for you. And then, remember that I shed, because there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Somebody has to die for the forgiveness of sins to take place with God, and he says, I'll do that for you. So man, if you're sitting here today, and again, if you're, if you're still investigating Christianity and checking this thing out, feel, just, just go ahead and feel free. Just pass the communion table. The communion elements are really for those who've said, this is, I, I believe this. I believe this. But if you are a follower of Christ today, remember what he's done for you, guys. This whole idea of being generous is nothing but the Spirit of God who is absolutely generous for you. And here's our chance to remember that, okay? So let's worship him and let's thank him and let's do it by remembering how much he loves you as we take communion together. Let's do it.